Hello and welcome to another episode of Rich in Relationship. And today I am interviewing my new, I'm trying to think what I call him, he's kind of my new hero. I was going to say my new friend, Bill Eddy, licensed clinical social worker, family lawyer, chief innovation officer at the High Conflict Institute. And this is a man who has published multiple books, who is well-respected and well-known. So happy to have you on board, Bill. How are you? I'm doing great, Rich. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's, a, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I was, I was saying before we started, I want to look like, I want to be Bill when I grow up. <laughs> I don't know if I, I want to talk just like you, but I want to kind of, you know, have the, the expertise that you have. So let me ask you the first question I ask everyone, which is how did your heart lead you into doing this work in conflict? Well, it was really a mix of experiences. So when I really got going, my career really started out uh, working with families uh, as, a, as a counselor. So I got my master's in social work in 1981 and did child and family counseling, which I loved. Um, I'd actually worked with kids even when I was in high school and college. And so I, I love working with families and kids. And then I got, I got interested in mediation and I volunteered at a community mediation center and found myself really liking the conflict resolution mm -hmm. right, where you meet for two or three hours and you resolve a conflict. Mm -hmm. And so I decided at some point that I wanted to really make mediation my career. And so, but there weren't really jobs. And so I saw lawyers were getting paid to do mediation. So I figured, all right, I'll go to law school and then I'll do primarily family mediation, divorce mediation, and try to help people stay out of court so they don't have these high conflict divorce cases. So that kind of evolved into being a family lawyer. Mm -hmm. um, I figured for a couple of years I'll practice in court and then I'll do just divorce mediation. Well, I spent 15 years in family court because my background really was helpful. I didn't realize. And family court didn't have the information I had coming from my counseling background. So I really found I could explain to the judges, the other lawyers, evaluators, all that about the difficult mental health issues and they tended to center on high conflict personalities which i had learned about as a therapist as personality disorders mm -hmm. and so that all came together in 2008 i formed high conflict institute with megan hunter who was also working in family law um, in phoenix and i was in san diego and i still am and so we've formed this institute and we've been educating people, seminars, books, consulting ever since. Got it. Yeah, you know, we are, I'm not joking. I mean, I also am a social worker, trained social worker who also fell in love with mediation. Only the difference is that when, when I fell in love with mediation, it was already accepted practice for mental health practitioners to become mediators without going to law school. So I got to I got to skip going to law school, or maybe I missed out. You know? <laughs> yeah, three more years lawyer. in your life. <laughs> yeah, my wife is a family lawyer, tells me I missed out. But uh, um, yeah, mediation is amazing. I think it's incredibly underrated in our society. I, I, and uh, what I loved about it, and I'm sure what you fell in love with, was not was the idea that 
two people can get in a room and with a position, you know, they can come in there with a, I'm going to win, you're going to lose position and come out of it with a new understanding of one another and uh, uh, acknowledgement of shared values and common ground, which is really, really special when you think about it. I mean, how much of that goes on in the world? Yeah, and, and people often need help doing that. And that's where mediators have really grown to facilitate that. And it's, it's such a growth in the family law area that you know, courts are trying to encourage more mediation. And now with COVID and oh, it's, Zoom. It's mandated in New York. It, it's very, you, uh-huh, good. Almost nothing you can bring in front of a New York court that involving two people that won't, they won't drive you to a mediator first. Now you have the right to walk away, but it's just a requirement. And I, I was a volunteer in small claims court for a while. And it was actually kind of amazing just how fast you could resolve conflict yeah. in on that level using mediation tools. Excellent. And in California, it's mandatory before uh, families go in front of a judge on a parenting issue. Mm -hmm. uh, financial issues, you can go straight to court and duke it out, so to speak. But I think just mediation is the future. I think we have to so we don't destroy you know, humanity. Um, because a lot of our differences can be resolved. And as you said, people come in win-lose and can leave win-win. Mm -hmm. And I think the world needs win-win today and families need skills for that. And that's a lot of what we've gotten into as well. So this is a great entry into our topic. Uh, mostly my understanding of narcissists and I, you know, I work in marital mediation and I work with people who are divorcing sort of toxic personalities, which you've spent a lot of your life identifying, which is why I'm so drawn to all of the books that you've written, basically, which I will be reading religiously after we get off this call, by the way. Um, and the MO of a, a narcissist is that they will do almost anything to have their partner lose. And it's, yeah. it, it seems like mediation is probably a less than adequate forum for dealing with that kind of personality. But I, what I'm really curious, well, perhaps, what I'm really curious about is how do you negotiate with someone who is just absolutely dedicated to your own decimation? Well, it's, it's tricky because they do come in as with a winner-loser perspective. And it isn't just I have to win. You're right. It's that you have to lose. But what I find in mediation and, and also negotiating right before court as a lawyer with people is that you can manage narcissists partly by feeding their ego mm. and showing them how a win-win solution is a win for them and that they will look good. And one thing I have found, narcissists are very concerned about how they look. Mm -hmm. And so kind of using court as leverage sometimes is if we don't resolve this here and you go to court, you're not going to look very good to the yeah. judge. And yet, if you do this, wrap this up in a bow that kind of works for both of you and for your kids, then not only will you avoid being embarrassed in court, but you're going to look good to your kids too and to the community. So let's figure this out um, so that, that you can look good. Because to me, that's part of how you work with a narcissist. And you, you pat them on the back every so often for doing something positive. And that helps move them forward. But there's a lot of 
you know, tricky things to deal with. So as a mediator, I can manage a lot of that. But individuals negotiating with a narcissist, there's things they really should think about. And we, we offer uh, a lot of tips um, in our various books. Um, and I can, I can mention some of those. Great. Uh, quick question that may help with that. So I'm thinking about, my understanding of a narcissist is though they may want to absolutely defeat their, their I'm gonna use the word loosely partner or the other parent, uh, the person they're married to, who, that they will interestingly enough be deferential to an authority like a judge and perhaps a mediator. And I'm curious what your experience has been with that. Yes, um, I've, I've seen several narcissists in mediation. In fact, many, I would say. And they come in wanting to persuade me that they're a good guy. Mm -hmm. and it's mostly men, but there are some women too. And, and one of the, the things, I, I'll just tell you a quick story, is they often come in, I've had this maybe three times, and they pull out a photo of the child and put it on the center of my round mediation table. And they say, this is what we're here about. And the first time that happened, I was so impressed. I was thinking, you are absolutely right. That's what we're here about. We're here for your child or your children. And over the next two hours, I totally realized this person doesn't have empathy for their child. Mm -hmm. They're putting on a show to impress me and get the, get an advantage. And like the three times that's happened, it's always been a narcissist and it's always been a show, not with real empathy. And so I've learned now to see through that. And I, you know, when I train uh, mediators, I, I tell them, watch out for things like this. Don't get don't get hooked into favoring one or the other person. Stay really neutral because a narcissist is going to try to pull you over to their side by impressing you. So it's very similar to a judge, I think, at least at the beginning of a mediation. Got it. And when you're dealing with a narcissist in that situation, how, how do you just, I mean, I understand you have this new book uh, that has these techniques. What are the techniques and how do you use them? Well, one is I have a technique that goes with the newest book, which is calming upset people with EAR mm -hmm. or ear statements. And we use these a lot and we need to often with narcissists. Um, I'll give another quick example. I, so let, let me just say ear statement stands for something that includes empathy, attention and or respect. And the example I'll give you is when I really developed it uh, about 16 years ago, and I've been teaching it ever since. There was a guy, second mediation session, um, came in, spread out some spreadsheets for finances on the mediation table, leaned over, pointed his finger about six inches from my nose, and he said, today, Mr. Eddie, you are going to tell her that I am going to prevail on this issue. So step up to the plate and do your job. I love it. <laughs> well, that's not my job. You must have smiled on the inside, though. <laughs> I, inside, I was like, <laughs> my amygdala said, you know, strangle this man. But fortunately, my amygdala, 
amygdala is subservient to the training I've had as a mediator. Awesome. So I didn't do that. Uh, I thought about admonishing him and pointing my finger back at him and saying, you're not treating me with respect, sir, back off. But I realized he was a narcissist. And so I thought, okay, what works here? Okay, and from my counseling background, I realized with really difficult people, you need to empathize with them. Mm -hmm. And so what I said is, wow, I can see how important this issue is to you. Don't worry, we'll take as much time as we need to discuss these issues. And I have a lot of respect for your preparation. That's going to help our discussions. And he totally backed off. And I looked over at his wife, and she just was so relieved that I had disarmed him without giving in to him. And as a mediator, that's what I've learned to do. And that's what I've learned to do with calming upset people with EAR is doesn't mean you agree. It just diffuses that adversarial moment. And you can use it with kids, with spouses, with ex-spouses, with lawyers, mediators, managers uh, in the workplace, uh, people who disagree about whether to wear a mask or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, I address all of these. I give about, I think it's close to 30 examples of calming upset people like that. And it takes a shift because they're coming at you negative and you turn around and go back to them with this positive empathy or attention or respect. And in the example I just gave you, I included all three. You know, I can see how important this is to you. We'll take the time we need and I respect your preparation. But you only need to do one of those most of the time to calm things down a bit. So it sounds like uh, this is different or related to committed listening in that, like in committed listening, you're looking for an emotion and a fact, a fact being what that person experiences a fact. You don't want to distract them by talking about other people or other situations, keeping it to them. It sounds like it's, it's sort of almost building on that in that it's, no. in that it's also validating them in the process. Right. In other words, so active listening, reflective listening, all the different types tend to tell people you heard what they said. Right. But with yeah, their statement, or, or make sure that you hear what they say, because they might say, no, that isn't it. And then they'll tell you again. So you get it right. But this sounds like there's more you're giving more to them in the process. Exactly. So you're giving them some empathy. You're giving your attention. You're giving your respect. So high conflict people, narcissists especially, but people that are defensive like this, it helps for them to feel like you're putting some energy into your interaction. You're not just standing back saying, okay, I hear you're angry at me. Did I get it right? It's like, you know, I can empathize with you. Mm -hmm. Although empathy is not a word people use a lot. So I hear your frustration. I can see how important this is. Sometimes I feel that way too. Those are all empathy statements. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. And how can people purchase this book? Oh, they can get uh, Calming Upset People with EAR on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, bookstores, independent bookstores. Uh, if they don't have it, they can quickly order it. And also our website at highconflictinstitute.com. Uh, www.highconflictinstitute.com. 
and it's it really it it takes practice but not too much people get it pretty quick and like i said there's so many examples if you read through the book by the end i hope you should be able to do it in your sleep <laughs> well like everything it's practice yes practice practice i think i think the the biggest challenge for those of us who want to help people manage conflict better is communicating to them not only is this a great technique, but once you've heard it, you need to practice it a dozen times, 24 times, 50 times until it really becomes a part of you. Otherwise, it's just a, a Band-Aid on an artery. Right. Now, what's interesting, too, with this is if, if someone individually is negotiating with a narcissist or in mediation or with the help of lawyers or themselves, is give ear statements especially that emphasize the word respect. Mm. And I suggest almost people tell me, you know, my ex is a narcissist. Uh, and I'll say then sprinkle your conversations with the word respect. I respect your time with our daughter. Uh, and I hope you'll respect mine as well. Um, I respect your efforts to solve this. I, I'm, I'm pleased with your uh, promotion. Um, things that, because narcissists really want respect. Uh, they call it feeding a narcissist. But it has to be honest. Don't say you're the most wonderful ex-husband I ever had yeah. or, or in the world. But say, you know, I, I really respect how, how committed to our son's soccer practice you are. Or you know, I even have a soccer example. <laughs> I'm absorbing this and I'm thinking, you know, it, 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 if you're practicing this with someone, whether they're a narcissist or not, if, if you're moving from a place of um, anger, fear, defensiveness, or whatever you, wherever that, whatever place you're in, and you're shifting it to, all right, I'm now going to purposely acknowledge the strengths that this person has, where, areas where I authentically respect them. They may be just two or three of them, but I'm going to do that you're also shifting energetically how you relate to the person. And so that probably helps disarm the situation. So I think it's really kind of brilliant. It's, it's simple. And that's one thing we've learned with High Conflict Institute. All the methods and skills we've developed have to be simple because people are using them under stress. And so all I remember now is ear. Uh, what was the ear? Oh, empathy. Empathy, attention, and respect. And then, you know, so I kind of have this instinctive thing, like in mediations is like, oh, that's right. I need to give an ear statement now. <laughs> I have one quick question still about this ear statement thing. I keep, I keep skipping over it. So if you are in mediation with someone who, let's say they're not diagnosed narcissistic, but they've got tendencies. They're like on a scale of one to 10, they're an eight or a nine. They're kind of what you're yeah. talking about over there. Maybe they are diagnosable, who knows? But if you're in a mediation and you're the other person, right? Um, how can you best use ear statements to disarm the narcissist in the presence of the mediator and have that work for you? Yeah, so there's, there's several things. A lot of it with narcissists is setting limits. And so you can say, you know, I, I appreciate your proposal, but I can't go that far. I'm going to have to say no to that proposal. Ah. So that way, instead of instead of absolutely not, 
no, are you freaking crazy? You know, you do it, you do it, acknowledging, almost acknowledging their position. Yes, because part of it is when you're angry and upset, they're in control. If they can get you emotional, now they've got you. Mm -hmm. And they're much better at doing upset emotions than anybody else is. Mm -hmm. And so if you're angry, you're showing frustration, um, all of this, they've got you where they want you. Instead, stay calm. Don't get hooked by their insults, and they often have those. If you can, and, and it helps to even practice before you go into a negotiation session, um, practice saying no calmly and saying, you know, I just can't go that far. Um, here's what I can do. And, and so it helps you say no with ear statements. The other thing is don't, um, there's a temptation for people to give in to a narcissist just to get it over with, and that doesn't work. What happens is now they want more. So be cautious about how far you go and use ear statements along the way. I respect your, your time with our daughter. Um, I, I can see that concern. I'll pay attention. Tell me more how that, you know, the new income works. I want to understand. So you don't have to be obsessed with your statements, but they can help keep things calm when, when a narcissist is trying to upset you. Instead of getting upset, you can go, okay, well, let's slow this down a little because uh, I want to understand what you're saying. Stuff like that. Excellent. Yeah. Really excellent. This is so good. I have got about 15 more questions, but I think we're, <laughs> if we run on treadmill time and people are probably just finishing up their treadmill. Right. So I'm going to take you to the last question that I ask everybody, which is, Bill Eddy, what is the legacy you want to leave behind? You know, I, I haven't figured that out exactly yet, but it's something like that, that, he was a guy who gave us skills to turn win-lose situations into win-win situations. Actually, that's, that's it, I think. Skills for win-win. There you go. That's Another breakthrough on rich and relationship. <laughs> yeah. And it isn't just win-win, just like everyone says we should do that. It's to take the win-lose people, the high-conflict people, and turn them into win-win people. That, that's my goal. Or at least win-win negotiations. Yeah, got it. That's a very lofty and worthwhile legacy. A lifetime commitment. <laughs> uh, amen. A very well, very well spoken. Thank you so much. And again, it has been such a pleasure to get you get to know you just a little bit. And I so hope that we will continue this outside of the podcast world. Well, thank you, Rich. I really enjoyed speaking with you, and, and it's very conversational, so it's a really good time for me, too. Thank you.